atmosphere is changing now For the Spirit of the Lord is here The evidence is all around That the Spirit of the Lord is here This morning I... I have about three or four hours worth of notes. So when you see me moving back and forth between notes, it's because I'm cutting that down to 30 or 40 minutes. <laughs> I'm not going to do three or four hours, I promise. If, if I did, it would probably be up here sleeping because you'd go to sleep and then I'd go to sleep. These, these Sundays over the past few weeks have been such tremendous blessings as I've listened to some of the messages that that others have done here. It, it blesses me on a level that, that uh, I can't really describe to hear hear the Word of God developing in people and not it's not just a preacher's time it's it's a time for people to share what is developing in their own heart and it's been really a blessing it's been an amazing thing to me and I I just want to thank this church for just for being who you are. Yes. There's a tremendous group of people here. I, I didn't even walk in out here yesterday, and that thing got painted out there, and it looks good. It's, there's some of the, some of the ladies. <laughs> some of the ladies had very nicely mentioned to me that the flow would be better if it wasn't brown out there and gray in here and. You know, I don't know anything about that. I, I, I try to learn about the flow of the Spirit, but you know what? It does. It, they're right. It worked. I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure we're more spiritual now because of that, but it certainly looks more inviting. And and just a th- big thank you to everybody that helped to get that to happen. We always make this building an ongoing project because when people walk in here, we want people to know that somebody loves this place and somebody cares about the expression that we have in the community. And without your help, we couldn't do that. So just from me, thank you. I want to start with just putting a couple of things out there. One is just more of a statement. Whatever you excuse you empower. You'll be thinking about that for a while because that grabs something inside of your mind. Whatever you excuse, you empower. And that breaches across so many boundaries. But let me just begin to develop that a little bit for you. What if when people accuse you of being super spiritual. That you began to excuse that by, by saying, but yeah, yes, you're probably right, but I'm trying to be like Jesus. What would you be empowering with that line of thinking? I would love it someday when I stand before God if he would say you were super spiritual. So why do I, what, what makes me not want that to happen? When people accuse me of being super spiritual or a fanatic. If fanatic means that I am a fan of God, then I guess I fit that bill. 
If me hearing God makes me crazy, then I want to get more crazy. I want to hear Him more fully. And I do seriously question those that want to say that I am a Christian, but... No, I'm, if, if I'm a Christian, that means I'm Christ-like. Christ heard His Father. And I'm going to spend my days learning how to hear Him more fully. And if that makes them nervous, then that's okay. We're just going to make them nervous. You know, there's part of me, and it's probably not the godly part of me, that would really like to have a conversation with those people. Because there would be two in that conversation, I promise you. (laughs) I wouldn't be backing up apologizing. And I think we need to live our life that way, where where we don't become over-aggressive and and nasty and, and hateful and all of that, but that in those conversations where people accuse us of being who we are, that there's two in that conversation. Oh, yes, I am. Do you mean you hear God? Oh, yeah. You mean you don't? (laughs) I really feel sorry for you. (laughs) So, another thing I want to put out there before we actually get into the message is one of my teachers from years ago, as he was doing his doctorate in, in linguistics, he got the opportunity to do four semesters actually in Israel at a Hebrew university. And he thought he was pretty much up on Hebrew until he got there and found out that he only knew the mechanics of it. He didn't know the everyday use of, of the Hebrew language. So much like Chelsea talks about her going to school, going to Bible school in Mexico, thinking she knew Spanish, uh, he spent a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in that first semester just trying to be able to communicate even though he knew the mechanics of Hebrew. One of the stories he tells, it's, it stayed with me for 30 years now. He said he was in a marketplace, and one of the, the high-level businessmen that gets a lot of... Uh, actually, they get a lot of recognition over there, because if you, have, if you have a certain status in the community, not only do you go to the market, but you go, they usually walk very proudly and they have an entourage of protection and it, it's just something that, that the normal people step aside and let them through. And he, that he's watching one such guy walk through the market thinking things that Americans would think about um, how arrogant this guy was, but this guy was a product of his culture. And he was walking through the market, and he said, suddenly I heard from off to the side, Abba, Abba. And he says, this proud man turns toward that voice, goes down on one knee, throws his arms out, and a little boy comes running up, hugs him. Abba. Much more than Father. Much more than Almighty God. But my daddy, my papa, whatever, whatever you want to call it, whatever it means is that to you. That story, when I, when, when I first heard it in class, I thought, I have no realm of identification with that. 
Because in those days, I was just barely being able to wrap my mind somewhat around the concept of an almighty God. Later on, I began to be able to, to take it a little farther and to understand that he wanted to be a father to us. But even now, so many years later, I'm still wrapping my mind around that concept of Abba. A, a God that, that says, I'm going to put the same spiritual DNA in you that was in my only begotten Son. And that spirit is going to become so intertwined with your spirit that you're not going to be able to tell the difference. And that your spirit, along with my spirit, will understand that I want to be a daddy to you. Oh my. And out of that I come to an understanding that there's much more to this book than we give it credit for. And that in reality, as long as I understand what Karen taught and what Sandra taught. Sandra talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Karen talking about that you just can't mix this stuff up. You've got to, there, there is a way of righteousness. And I'm, I'm, I'm very much paraphrasing for both of them. But if I understand those things, then God wants to interact with me on a level that is so far beyond anything I ever thought anything I could ever comprehend. And that if I make this just a rote and ritual of what I know, then I've missed it. And in the end, I've lost it. But at the same time, I desperately need this because within this, I find the banks of the river. I find, I find that track to run on. I find, I find that way that leads unto life everlasting. And just to understand that for me personally and for you personally, if you never produce anything more spiritually than you've already produced, he's still your daddy. He's still your daddy. As long as you're not turning and walking away from the family like the prodigal saying, oh, I know, I've got this thing, I've got this power, I'm going to walk away and build my own thing with it. If you do that, Guess what? He stays on the farm. He'll be looking for you, but he ain't going out there with you. You might work in a residual anointing out there, but it'll eventually go away and you'll realize you're in a hog pen. But if I walk in those ways everlasting, when my little squeaky voice cries out, Daddy? Everything in my world halts for just a minute while he checks to see what's going on. And he don't spoil me. He don't do things for me that is outside of the, his realm of God and his realm of, of the Almighty and his realm as the one who produced us and is taking us somewhere. But there is a spiritual pause while he adjusts to our need and helps us to move on. Why? Because he wants to be daddy to you. He wants to be Abba to you. And I tell you, my thinking is adjusting here, and I, I'm hoping that out of all of, the, 
all of these enforced hours of contemplation and studying that, that maybe I can help you to get it faster than I've got it. But in Romans chapter 7, like I say, I'm going to go through some various hand-scribbled notes because I just never could come to a determination of, of how much of what to use. Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Uh, we'll just let that sit there for a minute, and let's talk about how Paul got there. As he developed those first seven chapters, Paul does this masterful job of developing the mindset that we have when we're, when we're coming to God. That, that, we, that somewhere in it all, we must begin to realize that it is the goodness of God that leads us to being able to change our thinking and to act differently, to come to repentance. And, but in the meantime, we, we find within ourselves these things that, that do the unrighteous thing and, and love having it so. Now, what does that look like? That looks like knowing that what you're doing is not leading to the life of God, but, <laughs> oh man, that's just the macho of the American spirit. I'm, it's all right if I do that. Ha, 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 love having it so. And all at the same time realizing that there's a contradiction inside of you. That is, it's not working real well with the life of God, but it's making you more acceptable to those around you because they, they, they feel better if you're sinning too. And they put less pressure on you if you kind of ha-ha what they're doing. And Paul develops this. And he says if you push on in that way, God will turn you over to a reprobate mind. He, in other words, it's not that he gives you a reprobate mind. You already got it. But he'll eventually just say, okay, if that's the way you're going, go. I'll write the check and send you out. I'll look for you to return, but I'm not going with you. But there, if you'll notice in those first seven chapters, it's like there's a relentless pursuit that goes on inside of a man. As he lives out those contradictions and, and as, as he pushes to, to be accepted by those around him, but he's not so concerned about being accepted by God because after all, we've developed this doctrine that's, that's greasy grace. It says, well, now that I've prayed the prayer, everything will be all right in the end. That's not scriptural. I'm just telling you, that's not scriptural. That's American doctrine that we've sent around the world. We've exported our garbage. So we have this war going on inside, and, and we blame it, on, blame it on our family. We blame it on the culture. We blame, it, we blame it on our DNA. We blame it on illness. We blame it on this and that. But it's all a result of this contradiction and this friction, this war that goes on inside us. So Paul winds up here at the end of chapter 7. The wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one, one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And then we jump down to Chapter 8, verse 1. And realize that in the original writings, this is a constant flow. There's no verses, there's no chapters. It's a flow of writing. There is therefore now no condemnation. 
to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now there's so much of the implicit teaching in that, of, of that which is implied. That, that We won't go into all of it, but let's touch on some of it. The, the statement that there is therefore now no condemnation wraps up all of the former writing and saying that in all of this there's that condemnation. There's that division where you look at it and you, you really think in your mind that there's just no way out of this. That, yeah, there's a part of me that knows I should be living different, but there's a part of me also that celebrates the mess. And I, I tend to flow toward that which celebrates the mess, and, and that brings me into a fear of God. I, I'm afraid to face Him, but I'm more afraid of Mary's opinion. I'm more afraid of Bill's opinion. So I'll do what it takes to be accepted by this one and accepted by that one, and I'll be okay with God because we've got some greasy grace going on here. And I can live how I want to, but when I die, everything will be cool. Do you really want to base eternity on that? Just asking. But Paul is saying that in Christ Jesus... There's therefore now no condemnation. Uh, uh, That that goes away. But we want to focus on there's no condemnation. And we don't want to address in Christ Jesus. Now, if you follow it through, you'll find that the way the word Christ is is used in in some of the... um, In some of the, the letters, or not the letters, excuse me, in some of the Gospels' writings... It's almost like, a, it's almost like a, a name, like a proper name. It's not quite once you study it out, but it's almost like that. But then as it goes on over into the writings of the epistles, and it's various epistles, not all of them, you see a difference. You see there's a, actually literally a different word used in, in three different ways as it goes through. One of them is addressing and helping us to understand that this man Jesus was glorified. He was the Christ. He was the anointed one. But as you, as you follow it through, you see them beginning, be, beginning to relate the Christ also to his body. And that the expression of the Christ on the earth makes that transition that if we follow our king, if we follow in his will and his ways, that we literally begin to represent him to the world, and we then, living in these ways, we become, we start to live in a way where there is no condemnation now, instead of no way out, now we're convicted about that life, and there is a way further and deeper in, and it's the way of the Christ embracing the body, embracing the church, embracing the anointing, embracing everything. So here's why I go to that extent, is I want some of you to understand something. There's some kind of a movement out there that that says, well, I'm okay not being a part of the church. Can I tell you something? It's not true. It's God's plan. He put one out there. He said, this is what I'm going to build. This is the way I'm going. This is the way it's going to work. This is it. Now, am I talking about eternal salvation? Here's the problem. I don't know. And I'll never know. Why? Because I'm not going to die without being a part of the church. I'm going to embrace his plan. What are you going to do? 
Now, I'm sure there are people, probably not sitting in here because we're all smarter than this, but there are people that are going to find out how that works. I just don't want to be one of them. Jesus said, I'll build my church. And he said, that is where the gates of hell won't prevail. Not out there because you've prayed a prayer and you're saying me and Jesus got our own thing going. He said, and being a part of this force that walks the earth and being, and being a part of this thing that I've embraced and am building and being a part of this thing that the Apostle Paul understood as the body represented on the earth and being a part of this, there's therefore now no condemnation. So, it's not just about going to church. It's about becoming a part of this living organism that lives in the earth. So let's go on through and, and see how that works. Uh, verse 2. Verse 2 emphasizes that there's two laws at work in this thing. There's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it's a law. It's a law. You, you, I've studied that and studied that and studied that, trying to get it to say something different because I'm a red-blooded American. I don't like law. But I realize that they said it for a reason. is because to, and this is non-negotiable to God. The law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus has set you free from what? The law of sin and death. The law of sin, that place where you're falling short of that which God approves of and you know it, that's the law of sin and, and it leads to death. Now you think about that just for a few minutes. Think about the most successful unsaved person you know. They're getting higher and higher and higher in what the world approves of. They're accumulating more and more stuff. They're having more and more fun vacations. They're doing all of this stuff. And it looks like so much fun. Guess what? They're going to die. And they've already gotten there because they're separated from the life that is in God, which is true death. But the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus, he's setting it out there through his Spirit, saying, this is the way it works. And if you walk in this, you will begin to advance in the kingdom of God. You'll begin to understand it more and more. You'll begin to be able to release more and more of the power of his presence. And in the end... You will pass from glory unto glory until you break forth into complete day. The, the day that is unhampered, unclouded, all of that. You'll eventually get there instead of ending up all alone and dark and then dying. Now, let's go. I want, I want to show you in verse 5 now. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Now that tells you something very important. Most people, I'd say lots of people don't know this. You're in charge of setting your mind. Now let me give you an illustration about how your brain works. Your brain works... And here I'm going to use that word because I just don't know how to fix it. Your brain works in a positive way. How many of you have given a lot of thought to what you won't do? I won't do this. I won't do that. 
I won't do that. What are you thinking about when you do that? What you won't do. What do you wind up doing? What Paul said, who's going to deliver me from this? Because that which I want to do, I don't do. That which I know I should do, I don't do. Now, your brain is working that way. So, what if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit? That no, I'm not going to think about those things of the flesh. I'm not going to sit every morning and itemize my sin before God, asking Him to deliver me. Hey, He delivered you. Look at verse 12. So then, brethren, you're under no obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You're so born again. That those things that you think are driving you, they're driving you because you are, have a fear that you can't follow God and a fear that you won't be accepted by men. That's the only way, reason they drive you. The you are under no obligation to live like your parents lived. You're under no obligation to live like your generation lives. The obligation is to live according to the mind of the Spirit if you let it dwell in you. And remember, His Spirit, once, you're, once you receive His Spirit and you become immersed in His Spirit, once that happens, then your Spirit and His Spirit become so intertwined, it's been one of the struggles of translators for years because you can't tell. In the epistle writing, you can't tell which, which spirit is supposed to have that big capital letter because it's God's spirit, and which one's supposed to have a small letter because it's our spirit. The only place you can tell is when it's very clearly identified as the spirit of God. Otherwise, you can't tell that our spirit becomes so intertwined with his spirit that the spirit realm looks at us and they think, I thought we killed him. Uh, I, what, what's happening there? He looks like Jesus. She's acting like Jesus. She's stirring things up like Jesus. The Bible says very clearly that if the enemy had known what was going to happen, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because it opened up a pathway for us to become so intertwined with the Spirit of God that not only does His Spirit uh, correspond with our spirit in saying He's our Father, but our spirit begins to cry out to Him, Abba, Father, my, my Father, my God. Can you see how this would change your mind? If you begin to think like that, and we will hardly allow ourselves to. And Chad, I'm going to tell on you, Chad said this morning, I have a hard time with something like that because, because I don't want to bother him. I can identify with that. He's God, you know. But he's also said, I want to be a father to you. And he's also said, I send forth my spirit into your spirit. And through that, you cry out, Daddy God. Daddy God. I remember years ago when I, when I was a lot more legalistic than I am now. I hated that when people tried to talk about that. But one reason was, and this is excusing myself, and by excusing it, I'm empowering it, so I'm not going to say it. But I'm telling you, <laughs> but I'm telling you I hated it because I didn't have any idea of what that meant. 
Because I had a daddy. I had a dad. A daddy, I grew up a little bit and became dad. But you know what? He, he was not an easy man. But there was never a doubt in any of his children's mind that he was all for them. All for them. My sister says it this way. He was my best cheerleader. God can be like that for you. But you got to let him change your thinking. You got to, you, instead of thinking about all those things that, that in your mind you're doing wrong, think about all those things that in his mind you're doing right, beginning with allowing him to tell you that there is therefore now no condemnation. There's not a place where you have divided yourself off if you will accept this. Condemnation is an interesting word. It means that you divide yourself off and that there is a barrier there between you and that other thing because of your own concepts and your own mind. And that's what it means. And Paul is saying now, in Christ Jesus, when, when you've embraced the thought processes of God, and when, you, when you've embraced how desperately you need Him, and, and you begin to talk to Him and let Him fill you and work through you, and when you become a part of His body on the earth, and when you begin to work in that way, now in that, Paul said it this way, the middle wall of partition now is broken down, and there's now no condemnation, there's no division, there's no legal standing against you because you're walking in the Spirit, hear me, and not in the flesh. Now let's look at some more. Um, verse 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God... These are the sons of God. Somewhere on here, I've got a definition for lead that I think will be important to you if I can find it. My, my writing is very easy for me to read 24 hours in, but when it gets to be a weekend, not so much. Okay, I'll, I'll talk to you about being lead. I don't see it. I, I know it's on there somewhere, but I don't see it. But being lead is... It's a lot stronger word than we would use lead for. But it can mean to be gently led. It can mean to be pulled. And these are all scriptural meanings. You're going to find all of these in scripture. It can mean to be propelled. It can mean, literally mean to be launched. It can mean to be pulled so hard that there's a cloud of dust around the one being pulled, but not the one pulling. So it doesn't mean that you always hear God and come easy, but you always let Him bring you. You always let Him lead you. You always let Him pull you. These are the sons of God if you're being led by the Spirit. These are the sons and daughters. Uh, give yourself the same room that you would give me. No, give yourself the same room that you'd give the person sitting next to you. The reason I say that is pastors don't get a lot of room a lot of times. But... How, how much grace would you give that person that just came to know Jesus? Give yourself that grace. Because in truth, you just came to know Him today in the way that you know Him today. And if you're still trying to know Him today as you knew Him yesterday, you don't know Him at all. Because He's constantly on the move. He's constantly revealing. He's working in the now. He's not working in the past. 
And if we'll begin to understand that way and realize that that's the marker is led by the Spirit of God. For you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You see, the big deal is fear. And fear comes in at least two ways. But the major one is that fear that if I really ask God this question, I won't be able to measure up to His answer. Or another way, if I really give myself to this thing that God is doing, I won't measure up. I'm not holy enough to move forward with Him and I'll look like a fool. And the second way it's used is, if I do this, then LaRoyce will think I'm not holy. If I have God move on my life in a way that is not the ways of the past, then the whole church will think I'm crazy. But God leads you in a way that doesn't lead to fear again, but in a way to, that leads you to freedom because the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Guess where He is? Right here, right now. Now, because of God being who He is, He's already working out there. But can I tell you something? I'm not invited out there to work with Him. I'm asked to work with Him right here. He did work back there. He's not asking me to start there. If I go there, it'll be a dead and dry place. But if I work with Him here, all of the life that is in God is available to me here. And because my spirit is agreeing with His spirit, that He's my daddy. Think about it for a moment. My spirit is the one that is the voice of adoption. The Holy Spirit is the one that sets the legal tone for adoption. You have officially been placed in this position of adoption, but it's my spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. Get it. Get it. Get it. Get it. Because until my spirit agrees with his spirit, then it's, we're separate. But when I begin to realize that as holy as it is, that the things I'm going to excuse from this point forward is I'm going to make excuses for being like God and see how He will empower that. I'm going to make excuses for believing what He has said and just see what He'll do. And I hope you won't laugh at me, but if you do, that's okay. Because I'm a part of His expression on the earth. And you can throw up all of your theological flags and all of your years of Bible study in front of me, and I'm still going to tell you right here, right now, I'm a son of God, born of His Spirit. That birth, just answer something in your spirit. Do you believe in the new birth or not? That new birth is so real, it's as if God pulled you from a spiritual womb and with His own hands severed everything from the past and that umbilic, umbilic, umbilical cord, cut it off, tied it off, and gave you only one way to live. And that's in Him. Otherwise, you go right back into the ways of death and try to do it on your own. But He brought you forth and He severed the path so fully that you don't have to follow your DNA. 
He'll change it. That's proved scientifically. Your DNA can change through the years and will change through the years. Specifically marked as a person begins to try to follow God, their very foundations of who they are changes. And it's scientifically proven and has been for over 100 years. The science don't want to talk about it because they don't want to acknowledge God. But it is there. So when you come out, you really come out. And now you have no obligation. I'm telling you, those, those habits and, and those addictions that control you, you have no obligation to that. There's a real life inside of you that has no obligation to that whatsoever. And that, that, that real life that's inside of you won't excuse that. Matter of fact, once you begin to respond to it, it put pressure on you while you're doing it. You'll do it, and he'll be saying, no. And you'll be thinking, Man, I, I, I just don't measure up. I can't, I can't do what God's calling me to do. I'm, I'm doing this, and I know it's against God. And the Spirit in you will be saying, yep. You need to stop that. You have no obligation to that. Now, I'm going to go just a little bit further. I did not wear a watch this morning, and I should have. And that is the word where it says in 15 or 16, 17, somewhere there. 17. Let's go 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him. Now, I want you to get all ideas of suffering what you think it means out of your mind for a moment and let me tell you what that's talking about and then you follow me up and see if I'm not right but here's what it is talking about I won't go into all it's not talking about what it is talking about is that I place myself in opposition to the ways of the world and I keep that pressure on I keep that pressure on I suffer with him and I'll reign and rule with him if I do that that tells me that some of the things that he's going to break me out of is going to have to I'm going to have to go through some pressure. I'm going to have to put some pressure on it. I, I'm going to have to resist it. And then one of, the, one of the writers puts it this way, resist him steadfast in the faith. And, and it, it actually puts some kind, of a, some kind of an identity on what we're resisting. We're resisting the ways of death, the ways of the enemy, the ways of Satan that would steal, kill, and destroy. But he, he said, if you'll, just, if you'll just put that pressure on and keep it on. If you'll just live that way, if you'll just live it, no, I'm not going to be marked by the world. And, and no, my house is not going to be marked by the world. And, and I'm, going to put the, I'm going to put the teaching in my children that helps them to understand how to walk in the ways of God. Guess what? He said, then you'll reign with me. Then you'll reign with him. Then you'll rule over these things with him. Then you'll begin to see things turn around. Why? Because you pushed it. And he empowered it. And you were thinking these kind of thoughts. And these thoughts that said, no, in Christ Jesus, I'm, that's just not who I am. This is who I am. I'm not going to live in fear about what this one thinks about me, what that one thinks about me, what the whole world thinks about me. But I'm going to live straight. I'm going to live according to the, to the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to do that in the best I can. But I'm not going to just take this as a list of rules. 
I'm going to use this to understand the guidelines, but I'm going to hear him directly. He's going to talk to me. No wonder the world just throws a fit because we say we hear God. Because that's the way to life. So then faith comes by what? Hearing. Not by memorization. Not by having said a prayer. Not by any of those things. It comes by hearing that now breathing Word of God. And we begin to walk that way. And people mock us. Say, you mean you hear God? Yeah, I hear God. Well, we're going to burn you at the stake because you hear God. That's all right. I hear God. I remember the testimony of one of the old martyrs. They had the wood piled around him. They had poured animal fat all around him, getting ready to set the flame. And his challenge was, you lay your hand on my heart. When those flames start licking around me, if it beats one beat faster, then God is not God. And everybody was astounded because as he burned, he never screamed. He didn't do anything. His heartbeat didn't even pick up. He just died. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you. But I'm saying that's the kind of power that God can give you and wants to give you. It's just to stand and say, no, I won't bend. I won't bow. Because even if I'm in the fire, there's another one here with me. This is the way it goes. This is the way that leads into life everlasting. And some people want to say, well, I don't know why God did this, and I don't know why God did that. It's not my business. And most of it God didn't do. Most of it is the product of our, product of our life and living, and, and we just have to get through it. But my business is not why God is doing such things. My business is what's He doing in me? What's He doing in me? And to get here, here's, here's what I'm closing with. To get here, you've got to get over being you. The you that you think you are. Mixed in among who you are is you, the real you that God wants to present to the world. But we've got this ideal that we've put up. And my goodness, this rings so true in my life. Because I've, as I've studied this, I've thought of how many years I've tried to project that Whatever, I, I could put a lot to it, but just that macho United States guy, you know. I, I'm that guy that'll do this and that and something else, and nothing will harm me, and on and on and on. What, what utter nonsense. Straight from the pits of hell. But still, as God purifies me and I walk with Him, there's some of that in there. And it's real. It's not that you lay down who you really are. It's that you lay down all of the props that you put around you so that this one will accept you, so that, so that you'll be more fashionable, so that you'll be this, and so that you'll be that. Come on, just be you. Because God wants to present you to His world. You hear me? He don't want to present that facade that you've built. He don't want to present that nonsense that you think makes you the, the woman of the world or the man of the times. He wants to present you to the world. And through that, tell other people, look, this is how you can live. And he wants you to understand what it is to have your voice cry out of the throngs, Abba, and have that sense of him responding to you personally. Well, he responds to us corporately. How does he do that? I don't know. But my goodness, I'm challenged by the fact that he does. I want you to bow your head for a moment.
I want you to ask yourself this. Am I willing to give up my concept of me and just trust God with me? Think about it. Am I willing to do that? And let me ask you something to go along with that. Why wouldn't you? Why would you respond to the conviction that you need a Savior and then not let Him save you? Because just my cry, God, I need you, says that there's some of me that needs to die. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, am I ready to live on that level, to lay down this facade of who I think I am, quit fighting the battles that I think I have to fight, and just be who God has made me to be. And acknowledge, I don't yet know who that is, but I trust Him with it. Are you allowing Him to touch you with that this morning? Because it'll change everything. It'll stop fights in your family. It'll stop fights in the workplace. Because that thing of walking with God is just walking in a way that all that you're resisting is the stealing, the killing, and the destroying of the enemy. Other than that, you're just embracing the life of God. Now that leads you into some hard places sometimes. But we still haven't had to do what Jesus had to do. And I can walk with no condemnation because He took my condemnation on Himself and paid the price. I'm challenging this morning. If you haven't accepted Him really as your Savior, and I'm taking it further, if all you've done is prayed a prayer and thought everything's all right, I'm challenging that this morning and telling you, you need to say, God, I'm such a mess. I need you to forgive me, yes. God, I need you to talk to me about my next step and who you want me to be. And I need you to teach me to hear your voice. I need you to teach me to live in your ways. God, I need you to change me. Because if you'll start to pray that way, everything changes. One step at a time, everything changes.